You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Book of Matthew, chapter 1. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You know, I was going to continue reading, but I just have to pause in this moment. We have a little bit more time in the second service, so I hope you allow me um, this luxury. But um, it's so easy for us to slip into a, a routine of just, we've heard the Christmas story over and over and again, and we get familiar with it. And I want to encourage you to fast the familiar and to come with a heart full of awe and wonder as you hear this story. First, I want to ask you the question. I'm just me talking to you. Do you think Mary was triggered at Christmas? Like Jesus's next birthday? I mean, we just came out of not having our, our power for five days. And if you went to the store, it was like, I didn't, I mean, it was like people were going to take each other's heads off. Here's Mary who had committed herself to being pure and a virgin and she's pregnant. So she's the talk of the town. Everybody's whispering under their breath and they're labeling things that, you know, that we shouldn't utter from our mouths. But nonetheless, that's what they're calling her. Joseph doesn't know what to do. He's like, Mary, you know how ridiculous that sounds? You're pregnant with God's son? Like, come on. It sounds like, as you begin to read this text from Matthew, like, a, like an episode of Maury Povich. Herod's killing babies. Mary's got the scarlet letter label. Joseph doesn't know what to do. They're looking at Joseph and like, yeah, right. You stayed pure, all right. But as we continue to read, it says, but after he had considered this, speaking of Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every soul that you've gathered under my voice in this room today. I pray, Father, as I preach what you have asked me to prepare, that your words, your eternal words, would find fertile soil in the hearts of everyone in this room, that those seeds would bear fruit and grow, changing the lives of all of those around us. God, we ask that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. God with us. God with us in the midst of our labels. God with us in the midst of Herod trying to kill every baby. God with us in the midst of the chaos. You know, names have meaning. 
My wife, some of you joining us for the very first time, we have six kids. So we were having kids for like a 12-year span. And um, my wife is really big on names. You know, I might watch a movie and say, that's a cool name. We should name our kid this. But for Jess, it was much more profound. She wanted to know the definition of a name. And so she had a name book next to her bed. And she would, she would read that book every single night. And she's, she's kind of like Rain Man in that way. You could just rattle off a name and she could tell you the definition and the meaning of that name. And um, it was time to have our fifth born son. And she, as she's looking through these names, one really stood out. And she really had a piece that this was going to be our son's name. And so we named our fifth born Evander, which means good man and preacher. Now, if you've been coming to the church for a little while, you've, you've noticed that I peppered Evander's name into many of my sermons because he's kind of our out-of-the-box child. He has a, a lot of life is probably a good way, um, and a little body is a good way to say that. And so when I was preparing the message and I saw water coming through my light structure, and uh, I found out that Van, like the wet bandits in Home Alone, had plugged all of the uh, sinks and they began to overflow. When I shouted his name, Evander, I was proclaiming good man and preacher. And then, of course, there was a time where our overseers came just to kind of take a look at everything, how the church was growing and we were having dinner at our home. And Evander says to our overseer, Pastor John, watch this. Alexa, play Seek and Destroy by Metallica. Um, I yell, Vander! I'm proclaiming good man and preacher, regardless of the decibel level of our voice. Yes, names have meaning. And God was intentional when he gave his son the name Emmanuel. He was trying to convey and communicate something to us in that name, God with us. Yet most of us, especially in the state of Maine, are simply unaware of that definition and that meaning. A recent poll showed that 55% of Americans struggle with loneliness, depression, and anxiety on the holidays. I want you to think about that. 55%, that's the majority. That means the minority is only enjoying the holidays and walking in God's peace. But the majority of people are seeking and searching. It's heartbreaking when you really take the time to think about it because if you open the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you see this reoccurring theme, this thread throughout all of the books that God is intentional that he's determined to show us his creation, that he's not the God without us, but rather the God with us. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning of the book, the first book, the Bible, the beginning of our existence, our story as human beings, life as we know it, this theme begins to emerge of God with us. Remember, if you go back to Sunday school, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, 
the fish and the seas and the creeping things. And if you don't have any context for this book, if you're reading it for the first time, you may ask yourself the question, why is God creating all of this stuff? Like what's the purpose? What's the reason behind all of this? But we find very quickly this theme begin to emerge for the purpose. In Genesis 3 verse 8, It records, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I want you to just pause and think about that for a moment. God, the creator of all things, could have been anywhere doing anything. And he's on this planet, in this garden, walking in the cool of the day with his creation, with Adam and Eve you start to get the impression as you begin to read God's word that maybe he made all of this stuff, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, the creeping things, because he wanted to be with us. Maybe, just maybe, in the face of many religious scholars, God actually likes us. And as you continue to read the scripture, he reiterates this theme In Leviticus, he says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I want you to know that God is always moving towards you. His heart is to share not just this life, but all of eternity with you. In his desire, in this this passion that God has to be in relationship with you, it burns even in spite and in the midst of our failures and our rebellion. Even when we go through seasons where we want nothing to do with God, when God is the last thing on our mind, his goodness and kindness in longing for us, is still there. You come to the book of Ezekiel to find an example. The people of God, I'll give you a little historical context. The people of God wanted nothing to do with God. And they were in hundreds of years of rebellion. You think your 13-year-old slamming the door and cranking, you know, uh, Guns and Roses, which probably nobody listens to anymore, but, you know, slamming the door and cranking up Guns and Roses is in rebellion. God's people were in rebellion for hundreds of years in flat-out defiance of God's word. And maybe that's where some of you find yourself in this room. Maybe you want absolutely nothing to do with God. Maybe God, maybe this is the last place on earth you actually want to be, but because it's Christmas and because your mom wanted you to come, you know, you put on your shirt and you made your way to church. I want to let you know that you are in the right place. Israel was kicked out of their homeland. They were heading towards Babylon and God still says this about his people. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is in the midst of them wanting absolutely nothing to do with him. They were in a place where God says, what? I'm going to do the opposite. Maybe you can draw some parallels to where we're at in the culture of our world today. 
You know, it's interesting to me that we go through seasons, hopefully not as mature believers, but we are tempted, even if we've been walking with the Lord for years, to vilify God. God is like this big, huge punching bag that when things go wrong, when there's not enough money in the account, when relationships erode, when things aren't going your way, we want to, we're looking for somebody or something to pin the blame on. And more often than not, God gets that title. It's interesting to me that even most atheists who deny the existence of God, when talking about God, you can see their anger begin to occur. Well, if there is a God, this is why he's not worthy of, and they go through a huge list. Again, I'm not saying all atheists, but I am saying most atheists. But I'm here to tell you and to remind you that regardless of how many times you swing at the proverbial punching bag of God, he is still waiting for you with open arms. See, you may have stumbled, you may have fallen, you may have messed up big time. It wasn't a mistake. You messed up intentionally. But I want you to know that God is still there if you simply turn around. You know, religion, I came across this, uh, I guess it was a meme. I came across this meme and religion has this idea that I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. He's going to, he's going to be so mad. He's going to be so disappointed. He's going to yell at me. He's going to punish me. And that's what religion has conveyed for thousands of years. And that sentiment has driven so many men and women out of the church. But rather, we're not meant to have religion, but relationship. And relationship says, or the gospel says, for a child who's messed up, I've messed up, I need to call my dad. That should be our heart's cry, because what you'll find is the goodness and the kindness of God. No, you see, he's with us in the garden, and he's with us in Jerusalem, and he's with us in the places that we shouldn't be, like Babylon. Babylon was a type and shadow of hell. So God's people were literally heading towards hell and God still looked down and said, those are my people and I'm going to be with them. Are you seeing this? In Psalm, the psalmist records, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Again, depths, Babylon is a form and type and shadow of hell. God is trying to convey to his people, regardless of how much you mess up, regardless of how much anger you have in your heart towards me, I'm never turning my back on you. I will always be here. I'm not going anywhere. And some of you in this room have had an earthly father who walked out on you who spoke to you in that manner. And I'm here to say, first and foremost, I'm sorry that that's been your experience, but that is not a representation of your heavenly father. Your heavenly father adores and loves you. The Bible records that he yearns jealously to be in relationship with you. If you were to number 
the thoughts that he has towards you personally. They would outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. Every beach, every golf course, every sandbox. We can't even count. That's how often God is thinking of you. So when we come to this moment in the book of Matthew, talking about the story of Jesus's birth, we see that Mary will conceive a son, fully God and fully man. And that his name will be Emmanuel. We see the fulfillment of this promise, this theme in this thread that's throughout all of the Old Testament and spills into the New Testament. So what does it mean to call Jesus Emmanuel? It means that we are never alone. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what we're doing, where we find ourselves spiritually or geographically. God is always there. You know, I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son because I think it's such a beautiful illustration. For those of you that may not have heard it, there's a father with two sons. And one of the sons comes to his father and says, yeah, you know, I, I really don't want to wait for you to die. I'd like my inheritance now. And that was just simply taboo at that time. He was basically insinuating, I wish you were dead just so I could get mine. And his father gave him his inheritance, gave him all the money that was going to come to him. And the Bible records that he went out and he partied hard. Women, alcohol, whatever they did back then to have fun. And, you know, he found himself with all kinds of people surrounding him. He was living in the highlight. But eventually the money ran out. And when the money ran out, the women left. The alcohol left. The alleged friends left. And he found himself empty, alone, with nothing. And one morning he woke up and he found himself in a pigsty. And he thought to himself, he had this epiphany. Wow, even the servants that work for my father live better than I am. Maybe I could go back to my father and I could just be a servant. I know that I've, I've messed up royally. I know he's not going to allow me to come back as a son because I've already squandered all his money. But maybe he'll just let me work as a hand on the ranch. And this is where the story just takes this beautiful turn. So the, so the son returns home. And the Bible records when he was a long distance off. Alcohol-stained clothes, pig excrement all over him. The Bible records that the father ran towards him and embraced him with a hug. Just the idea of a Jewish man running, it was considered unheard of at that time. It was undignified. But this man simply did not care because his love outweighed the dignification of their culture and society. All he cared about was that his son had came home. And I am here to tell you, regardless of what mess you find yourself in or regardless of the mess you left behind, God is waiting for you with open arms. It's why he sent his son to make a way so that he could embrace you in his love. You know, I remember when I was a, a kid, just to give you an illustration that God is always with you. Um, I wanted the, uh, the gold and uh, 
blue bike from E.T. Anybody remember that? I'm an 80s kid. Okay, everybody wanted that Huffy. Okay, everybody wanted that Huffy. I didn't get it, but you know what? It's therapeutic for me to talk about it here, okay, especially around Christmas. But I got a different bike, and it was, it was great. It had a banana seat. You remember those long seats? Butts were bigger in the 80s. That's just the way they made them. And so I had this bike, and my father was like, it's time for you to learn how to ride your bike. So we took the training wheels off. And in the beginning, he was holding on to the steering wheel, you know, and we'd kind of get going. And he was actually bearing most of the weight. And eventually, as I started to get kind of the, the rhythm of it down, he would have his hand on my shoulders. And so I just knew that he was right there the whole time. So I felt like I was, I, I could kind of like he had me, he supported me. And then one moment before I knew it, because we were going over this over and over and over again, I, I, I looked to my left and to my right and I didn't see my father. And I started to have this panic moment. I was on my bike by myself. I felt all alone. I felt like I was going to crash. And I looked over my shoulder and I saw that my father was running right behind me, but his hands weren't on me. And that gave me the courage and the confidence that even if I was to begin to stumble, if I was to begin to fall, my father would be there to line me back up. I share that illustration to give you a visual and an example that even though you may not be able to see God, you may not be able to feel God, he is there with you every step of the way. And he's not going to allow you to fail. The truth is that this revelation carried me through many, many, many dark times. I know in my own journey with the Lord, I had done things. I had found myself in places and spaces. I betrayed people and I thought I was past the point of redemption. Church was a place for clean people that had their lives figured out and it wasn't a place for me. But as I began to come to church and I began to read his word, this theme just blew up that God is with me even when I was partying hard on a college campus, when I was partying hard at the barracks. God was with me every step of the way in the midst of my dirt and he was waiting and longing for me to turn around. (laughs) But here's another way to look at this beautiful truth. God promises us and shows us all throughout scripture that he's the God with us. But if God's with us, it also means us with God. Where we go, God is going. And that is a powerful and encouraging thought. It's a scary thought when you're living for yourself and you think about all the places that you brought God in. I think about some of those basement parties and I'm like, I'm so sorry, God, that I brought you there. And you had to listen to that kind of music and you had to watch me funnel 16 beers. I'm sorry that I brought you into that. But now that I have my feet on solid foundation and I've committed myself to the Lord, it's encouraging to know that as I take ground for the kingdom, it's not just me, but it's God with me. When I look at my finances, it's not just me trying to figure out how we're going to make it, but it's God with me in my finances. It's God with me in my marriage. It's God with me in my parenting. It's God with me in the gym and hallelujah for that, okay? God is with you as you face the trials and tribulations of this life. You are not alone. And the more you lean into this, the more peace 
and freedom you will experience. The weight and the mantle that you've been carrying and trying to figure it out and trying to be clever and knowing the right thing to say and trying to bring enough experience to the table for you to feel like you're worthy. You can let go of that because it's not just you, it's God with you. I want to read this scripture, John chapter one, and I want you to hear it with fresh ears. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, the, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I want to invite the worship team back up here. I want you to hear this. The word did not come back as a religious system. The word did not come back as a theological commentary. The word did not come back as a political ideology. As much as some churches try to force God into these places and spaces, the word became flesh, human, like us, with us. The psalmist records the entrance of your word gives light. Some of you are in darkness. You can't see the next step at work, in your marriage, in your finances. You're feeling your way around, trying to make your way to the other side. These are Jesus's words to you. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm going to ask you to stand as you made your way into the sanctuary. You should have been handed a candle. This is a fire department approved candle. You simply turn the flame or the bottom and it lights up. It's children friendly. My question to you today, and I really want you to ponder this. What will you do with Jesus, the light of the world? Will you stay in your own darkness or turn from yourself and step into the light of Christ? The book of Matthew records, you are the light of the world a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let us honor Christ in our lives by letting these candles represent the light of Christ that has brought us in new life. Together, we shine brighter. 
Let us welcome the presence of Jesus as we sing these Christmas carols together. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.